Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We pray and ask that you open the eyes of understanding. That at the end of this meeting, we will know you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, just clap your hands to Jesus and be seated. Thank you, Lord. All right, so are you ready for the word? Powerful. All right, so we are continuing our teaching on growing spiritually. I believe every believer, every believer needs this message. Even men of God need this message. It's a very critical message. The body of Christ must hear this. Growing spiritually. Hallelujah. We said as believers, growing spiritually is key. First Timothy chapter 2, the verse 4. The Bible says, God who wills that all men be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God has two main wills. His first will is that all men will be saved. That means that all men are not saved. All men are not saved. So his will is that all men will be saved. Number two, he says, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That tells us that being saved is not enough. Salvation is not enough. Praise God. Being saved is not enough. After being saved, the next thing is to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's as though you have been admitted to the university. You are happy that you are also a university student. But if you don't study, you become a disappointment. So being admitted and graduating with first class are two different things. Are you seeing that? When a child is born, the mother of the child is very happy because the child has been born into this world. Everybody comes to rejoice with the baby. But as the child continues to remain a child and decides and refuses not to grow, it is no longer joy. It becomes frustration. Are you seeing that? So being born is like salvation. Remaining a baby is choosing not to come to the knowledge of the truth. Choosing not to grow spiritually. It's a serious matter. So we have many believers are saved. True. But few believers have come to the knowledge of the truth. Coming to the knowledge of the truth will take you a lifetime. Salvation takes you a second. Coming to the knowledge of the truth will take you a lifetime. After 30 years of ministry, Paul said that I may know him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him after 30 years. That means knowing God, knowing Christ will take you a lifetime. This was a man who has spent 30 years in ministry. He says that I may know him. So coming to the knowledge of the truth is as equally important as salvation itself. I told you in the book of Exodus chapter 12, we see two realities in the Passover. In the Passover, God told them to kill the animal. One, sprinkle the blood of the animal on the doorpost. So that when I see the blood, I will pass over. God didn't say when I see your good deeds, I will pass over. 
He didn't say, when I see your bad deeds, I'll kill you. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. That means salvation is not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's about the blood of Jesus. It's about your faith in the blood. It's about your faith in the blood. So that day, if you were in a room and you had blood on your doorpost, irrespective of what you have done, once you had the blood, you'll be saved. So on that day, if you were a good man and you came outside without the blood and says, I, have, I am good, I have not done anything bad, you will still die. And on that day, if you are a bad man, you can even tell God anything, say, nyeh, 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 nyeh. enter the room where there's blood. When the angel comes, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over. That tells you that salvation is not about good works or bad works. It's about faith in the blood. Anybody that was in that room with blood proved that he had faith in the blood. Praise God. So on that day, if you were good, you can't boast of your goodness. And on that day, if you were bad, you cannot have pity for how bad you are. So self-pity and self-boasting was cancelled and put under faith in the blood. So 2 Timothy 1.9, the Bible says, Who saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So we are saved not by works, but by grace. Titus 3.5, he says, who saved us, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his own mercy. Ephesians 2.8.9, he says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. So salvation has got nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are. You don't do good to make heaven. You don't do good to be saved. You must believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says you shall be saved. Even if you were an armed robber, you shall be saved. The verse 10, he says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So we receive righteousness by believing. And he says, with the heart, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So salvation is a resultant effect of believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing him as your Lord. So on that day, if you were in that room, the blood will save you. But if you read further in Exodus 12, God told them, whilst they are inside, eat the roasted lamb. So the blood was outside for salvation. The flesh was roasted inside for eating. So it tells us that as believers, though we have been saved by the blood, inside Christ we are supposed to be feeding. We are supposed to be eating Jesus, feeding on Christ. Because on that day, those who ate, as many as ate, were strengthened in their journey and walk out of Egypt into the promised land. So that food became their spiritual or let me say physical sustenance for their journey. Telling us that feeding on Christ and his finished work is actually our spiritual sustenance for our journey in Christ. So there are many believers who are saved but spiritually they are weak and malnourished and impoverished because they are failed to feed on Jesus. 
So, feeding on Christ, which is the knowledge of Jesus, is as equally important as being saved. So, spiritual growth is a serious matter with God. It is not a joke. I told you spiritual growth is not a dessert after salvation. Spiritual growth is not a spiritual extracurriculum activities after the best things have been done. Spiritual growth is Christianity itself. It is Christianity. Therefore, a Christian who is not growing is in trouble. A Christian who has decided not to grow is in trouble. Praise God. And I gave you reasons why a lot of believers don't want to grow. I want to repeat it again. Number one, laziness. It's a reason why believers don't want to grow. Laziness is one of the reasons why believers don't want to grow. They are lazy to wake up at dawn to study the word. They are lazy to open their eyes to, to study the word of God, meditate, read the scriptures. They are just lazy. It's one of the reasons. Number two, the fear of the responsibilities that comes along with maturing. When we were in the house, when we were young children in the house, we were scared of growing because of responsibilities. Because when we grow, we will start sweeping. We will start washing the car. We will start fetching water in the house. They will start sending us, go to the junction and go and buy me prepaid. Not a petition. So, we were, me for instance, I didn't want to grow because I knew I saw my big sister working laboriously. So, I did not want to grow because when I grow, they will send me. I'll start washing my own thing. So, my sisters were washing for me. Before I realized, my height was moving like that. I was just, they said, take your things and go and wash. What I was afraid of has come to me. So many believers are scared of growing because of the responsibilities that comes with growth. Because as you grow, you become a church worker. When you close church, we'll ask you to wait. When you wait, we'll be training you. And when we train you, you go out for evangelism. When you go out for evangelism, you win a soul. When you win a soul, you mature the soul. Let me not venture. And as you mature the soul, you pray for the soul. And as you pray for the soul, you feed the soul. And as you feed the soul, you take off the soul. He says, uh-uh. So, because of the responsibilities involved in maturity, many Christians don't want to grow. Number three, we said excuses. It's one of the reasons why many Christians don't want to grow. Excuses. My, I'm so busy. My work is not permitting me. My classes is not permitting me. All these excuses are inexcusable. No matter how busy you are today, if they arrest you, you make time to the police station. No matter how busy you are, even if you are working and schooling, when it's time for examination, you make time to study. So you see, time is always available. You have to make time. So any excuse why you are not growing is not excusable enough. Because I told you, the only spiritual investment we can take to heaven is our spiritual growth. A man went to heaven and he was surprised. He saw Daniel and most of the big prophets, they were still studying. And he was asking an angel, what are they still studying? He says, they are studying the gospel. And he saw some children there. And he says, what are they doing here? He says, these are the children that people, uh, 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 the people that perish through abortion. I brought all their fetuses here. And I just dropped a liquid water on them. And as I dropped it, they all grew up. 
And as they grew up, we took them to classes to go and study. So in heaven, classes is going on left and right. So all the things you fail to study here, you do remedial classes in heaven. <laughs> so as we move to heaven, wherever you got, you continue from there. So imagine you did not grow and you go there. So you'll be starting from kindergarten with your beard. <laughs> so spiritual growth is, is an investment. It is the greatest investment you can have. Data bank is not good investment enough. No investment on this earth is good enough except spiritual growth. So growing up spiritually is a serious matter. You can never take it out of your life. We said that my fourth reason is impatience. Because some of you will hear this message and teaching and immediately you want to grow in one night. So you will pray five hours, first day, five hours, second day, ten hours, third day, fifteen hours, fourth day, one minute, sit day. And from that sit day, you don't pray again. He says, Father, I'm tired. Yeah, you'll be tired. Because after hearing this message, you thought that maturity was instant. So by praying for one hand for ten hours, you grow instantly. You are lying to yourself. By studying the word of God for ten hours, because he had prophet love teaching that, ha, I've been studying for 16 hours. So he says, okay, let me also try it and see how it goes. You'll break your legs and you'll be discouraged to even read the Bible in the first place. I told someone last week that it is better to pray ten minutes consistently for a year than to pray 10 hours for a month and not pray again. This is very key. It's better to pray for 10 minutes consistently for a full year than to pray for 10 hours in less than a month and not continue again. So we have many Christians who are rushing because they want to grow in a day. It will take you a lifetime to grow for your information. Growth is a continuous place for, for the believer. You will grow and grow and grow and grow and ever increase. So you must be patient in your growth process. I know there's a feeling that goes on in the hearts of people when they hear me teaching. So they're like, when will I get there, Lord? <laughs> when? Da benda. Where will I get there? Where will I start from? Relax. I was, I, <laughs> mine was even worse. I can hear some people teach. I'm like, ah. So when? That when is today. You have seen that? So you, instead of asking when, start from somewhere. Start from somewhere. Don't worry. However little you have, God can multiply it for you. So start from there. Be faithful with the little. Be faithful. Keep listening to the messages. Keep being faithful with your Bible study. Keep, keep reading the books that you have, the materials you have. You will get that. You'll be surprised. Praise God. I cannot impact 11 years of knowledge into you in one day. It's not possible. Is it possible? I could have done it for you easily. You just bring one gana. Phew, one gana. Phew. <laughs> when I look at your side, I say, ten gana. Phew. If, you're, if I realize that you'll be proud with the knowledge, I'll take thousand Ghana. <laughs> I wish that was possible. I could have done that for everybody in the church. Then now, I can really teach what I want to teach. So you can imagine that I've stored all these things by laying foundation for you. Tell somebody to be patient. 
the growth will come. All right. The next one we said is the sacrifices that comes along with growth. And the comfort and the relaxation it robs from you. When you mature, you will sacrifice too much. You will sacrifice too much. It will cost you. It will cost you your comfort. It will cost you your relaxation. So many don't want to go there because they will have to wake up at dawn, which they are not used to. So they want to remain that way. They don't want to pray and venture into two hours prayer. They want to remain where they are because maturing will take you a lot of sacrifice. I'm telling you, spiritual growth is not cheap. It's not cheap, but it is rewarding. It pays to grow spiritually. At the end of this teaching, you get to know that no growing spiritually, you are doing yourself. Because the benefits of spiritual growth is too much. God can use you for any work when you are matured. You become a vessel that God desires. Because he knows where he takes you here. Because of your maturity, you can't disgrace him. You can't disgrace him. Because he knows you are matured. Praise God. You become a tool, a vessel of honor in God's hands when you mature. So the benefits are too much. God can bring you money. You know why? Because when he brings you money, you won't backslide. Because you are matured. He can bring a lot of women your way and he knows that he can trust you with the Christian sisters. When you are matured. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah. When you mature, God can entrust you. He can entrust you with treasures. Treasures. He can entrust you with ministry. He can trust you with branches. He can trust you with money. He can trust you with giftings. There are some of you, if God adds something to it for you, hey, you're in trouble. You start seeing three names, four names, five names. <laughs> That's all. Prophet Love, I'll see you next year. <laughs> You see that? So the sacrifices, is, 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 it, it will cost you dearly. It will cost you your money. Can you imagine? As I was sharing with you on Sunday, I was praying the Spirit on Sunday, preparing for teaching. And I was supposed to travel for a conference in Cape Coast. Whilst I was praying, the Holy Ghost said, any honorarium they give to you, don't take it. Give it back to the pastor. Because the pastor himself is broke. Because of the organization of the program. I said, okay, God. You see, God can trust me. God can trust me. Under tight condition, God so trusted. I said, yes, okay, I'll do it. I used my own transportation, went for the program, they put me in a hotel. I finished the program. I, f I finished the program. And was, he says, my God, we didn't have enough, but this something. I said, it's okay, hold it. It's for you. And God says, add the extra seed you have and sow it into his life. Give him honorarium for hosting you. And I just put my hands in my pocket. It's not easy. I'm telling you, spiritual growth will cost you. And I had to obey it. And I gave it to him. He has not heard it anywhere before. He has not heard it anywhere before. Where you host a man of God. And the man of God gives you back your honorarium. And adds honorarium to it for you to go home. And gave him free books. The guy was going confused. <laughs> you see, when a man obeys God, that's when he has come to mature with you. When, when, when you get to a place where the Holy Ghost, you are just sold to the Holy Ghost. You move where he moves. 
When you get to that realm, God can trust you with anything. Anything. You have passed the level where you, you cannot steal church money. It's not possible. A man I went to school with, by the grace of God, God blessed him. I prophesied to him that he was going to do car business. He didn't really believe what I was saying. I said, listen, I'm prophesying to you, you do car business. He didn't have any link with car business. I just said, okay. His face had changed. I said, so, I mean, I've told you. That's all. I was there this year. He came to me. He said, Bishop, I don't know how it happens. I'm doing car business from Dubai. You are jealous of that prophecy, so it's okay. You get there. So he said, God spoke to me after what the, the prophetic word you have given, that any car I sell, I should bring to the ministry 10%. That's where, you see, if you're not matured, you miss the whole thing. And I said, sir, is it for me or is for the ministry? Please specify. Then he said, it's for the ministry. Okay, I don't want to touch any money here. Then I called Prophet Felix. Please. He said, because of what God has done, he's sowing 10% of his car business into the ministry. And I called him. He's here. Today he came again to another second 10%. And I called upon to go and take the money. You see, if God can trust you, I could have done it secretly because nobody was in the office. He brought 10% and I'll be enjoying 10% of the ministry money. And God says, oh, son, so you just saw 10% of car business and you are just moved by this. How can I bring you real estates? How can I bring you people who have enough cash to be able to buy land for the ministry one day when you can't handle 10% of car business? Integrity is everything. Tell somebody, integrity is everything. So you must come to that place of, of maturity where God can trust you. I know I'm speaking to somebody here. So, we say spiritual growth is like that of a plant, of growing a crop, of growing a crop. We said that a farmer can go and sow the seed into the soil, water it, inspect it, take weeds away from it. But the farmer cannot do only one thing. He cannot force the seed to grow. The, farmers, the farmer must only rely on the law of nature that brings growth to cause growth to happen. But yet... Though he must rely on the law of nature to bring growth, the law of nature is also relying on him to sow the crop and be responsible. So if the farmer sows the seed on this pulpit, it will never grow. He is responsible for putting the seed in the right environment for the growth to take place. It's the same with us. Spiritual growth can never happen by us, yet it cannot happen without us. Just like the farmer must go to the farm, wake up at dawn, sow the seed, cover it, water it. It's your responsibility to go to the word. It's your responsibility to put the word in your heart. And God, through the environment you are positioning yourself in, he brings the growth. I use the gym as an example. A man can go to the gym. He will gym, he will have pain in his body, but he cannot have the muscles by himself. It will take time. There is a certain nature in his system that causes the muscles to build when weight is lifted. He cannot force it. He can't force it. It's the same with our spiritual growth. We can go to the gym by studying God's word, praying. But listen, we cannot force our spiritual muscles. It comes by God. 
It comes by God. God is responsible for growth. Yet, the means for growth, we are responsible for it. I'm teaching good here. So, last week, we got to know how to grow spiritually. We started the teaching on how to grow spiritually. And this is so key. It's a very essential teaching here. We said there are three essential means of attaining growth. Three essentials of spiritual growth. If you catch this thing, I'm telling you, you will never remain a baby Christian. We said, we grow, number one, by eating. Number two, we grow by breathing. Number three, we grow by exercising. According to the law of nature, we grow by eating. That means we grow by feeding. We grow by breathing, number two, and we grow by exercising. Now, these three essentials of growth have been arranged in a, in a certain way that you cannot choose one and leave the other. It's not possible. If you like, you can choose to eat and not breathe. You will die. Are you following? You can choose to eat and breathe, but if you don't exercise, the baby can never walk until he keeps exercising before he stands on his feet. He strengthens his physical muscles through exercise. So you cannot take one and leave one out. So we said, growing by eating is feeding on the word of God. Growth by breathing is prayer. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Just like a Christian must pray without ceasing, it's as though a man who breathes without stopping. Just like your breath does not cease, your prayer must not cease if you want to grow. So we said that prayer is the breath of the soul for the believer. Prayer is the breath of the soul for the believer. Praying is a spiritual way of breathing. So the spiritual way of breathing for the believer is prayer. So if you are not praying, you are not breathing. That's how serious the thing is. So prayer is not an option. Prayer is not for prayer warriors. Prayer is a necessity for a believer if he wants to survive as a believer and fulfill God's assignment for his life. Prayer is key. Because prayer is your breath. So any believer who is not in a constant life of prayer is suffocating. He's imbalanced. So sometimes as Christians, we get to a place where out of laziness, we say, okay, let me replace my prayer with the word. You see, it sounds nice. Be careful. So sometimes, you know, because of the, the effort involved in prayer, it says, okay, today let me convert my prayer into word study because it's very comfortable to study. Though it's difficult, it's more comfortable. So we replace our prayer with word. Listen, if you don't get this balance right, it's going to affect your growth. Now, when I'm saying prayer, I'm talking about establishing a certain consistent, constant prayer life. And like I've always been telling you, don't rush to pray for 10 hours. There'll be once in a while as you are praying in your prayer journey, you, you will go to a certain distance that you never expected to go. But that's normal. But I'm talking about establishing a consistent prayer life. At least start with 10 minutes. It's better to pray for 10 minutes consistently than to pray 10 hours and stop in the middle of the process. So have a consistent prayer life. It is the breath of the believer. As long as you pray, it, that's as long as you are breathing. 
So it's a serious matter. And then the third one is we grow by exercising. And we say exercising is the spiritual disciplines and exercises we take, uh, we, we put in place to help us in our growth. So spiritual exercise is engaging in spiritual disciplines. One of them is fasting. They are spiritual exercises. They are not a requirement for receiving power. They are not a requirement for gaining God's attention. Fasting is not a requirement so that God will do something for you. Fasting is a spiritual exercise. If one wants to grow. Of course, you can still grow whether you choose to fast or not, but there's a place for fasting in a believer's life. That's what I want, I want you to understand. There's a place for fasting. The apostle of grace said, in fastings, often. So nobody else can convince me that fasting is not in New Testament. In fact, the early church started with fasting. That's how they did their ministry. Fastings. It's so good. And I don't say that to boast or to prove that I'm self-righteous or something. But I've always been saying as a believer, personally, see, I'm a believer before I'm a pastor. So sometimes as ministers, we feel our calling is an automatic accreditation from God that will mature. It's a lie. You are first of all a believer before you become a minister of God. Praise God. So this is not just for, for believers. Pastors are included because they are believers. Praise God. So I decided I'll fast four times in a week, but I didn't start instantly. I was doing it once in a week. It got to a time, it was so exciting for me, it got to twice. It became more spiritually tantalizing for me, it went to three times. Then now, it became more satisfying for me. When I'm fasting, it's as though I'm eating. So now fasting became my food, then it entered into four. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. So these are spiritual exercises which we are going to be dealing with. So we started by feeding on the word of God. It's the food for the believer. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he says, For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So just like a man is sustained by physical bread, our spirit is sustained by the word of God. So the word of God is the food for the human spirit. So any believer that does not feed on the word of God is starving himself spiritually. Peter said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word of God that ye may grow thereby. So the word of God is food. The book of Jeremiah 3.15, he says, and I will give unto you pastors after my heart and they will feed you with knowledge. So the knowledge of God's word is food. It is food. Praise God. The Bible calls the word of God milk. It calls the word of God meat. Hebrews 5.14. It says, but strong meat are of those who are full age. Who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So the word of God is also meat. So the more you are feeding on God's word, you are drinking milk, you are eating meat. David calls the word of God honey. So the sweetness of God is in his word. Are you following me here? So the word of God is honey. The word of God is also bread. So the word of God is the food for the believer. 
If you want to survive, you must eat God's word. You must drink God's word. You must imbibe God's word. You must masticate God's word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We also got to know that God's word is light. David says, he says, thy word is a lamp, is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. So God's word is a light. So without God's word, a believer walks in darkness. He cannot see. Without God's word, a believer is dark. Everything becomes dim and obscure. Without God's word, the believer is walking in darkness. Thank you, Lord. God's word is water. It cleanses you. Jesus said in John 15, verse 3, it says, ye are clean because of my word. So God's word is a cleanser. It's a cleanser. There are sometimes you are having some bad thoughts as you just go into the word. All of a sudden, before you realize, the bad thoughts are just gone. You know why? The washing of water has taken place. Ephesians 5.26, he says that he might sanctify by the washing of water by the word. So the word of God is our spiritual water that washes us. Look, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the word of God is water. Ask somebody, have you taken your bath this morning? So any believer who does not study the word is not bathing. <laughs> it's not bathing. Some of you are smelling good physically, but spiritually you are stinking. Sent to know, sent to Abraham is just watching that. <laughs> David is coming close. Hello, sweetie. Hi! No bathing. So just imagine what happens to you if you don't bath for four days. You know what comes to you? We call it the spirit of enchantment. So, <laughs> so many believers have enchantmentalized their spiritual body. So spiritually, they have done done. They have enchantment. They have you know ringworms all over their head. No bath. Thank you, sir. No bathing. Because God's word is water. It's your shower. So if you are not bathing spiritually, you will stink spiritually. If you study a believer whose attitude is not consistent with God's word, he's thinking. He's not bathing. Ah, you know believers can stink and not stink. I'll show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. <laughs> Quickly. He says, now thank you to God, which causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the server of his knowledge by us in every place. So God's knowledge is his perfume. Look at the next verse. He says, for we are unto God, the sweet server. Give me another version. He says, for we are unto God, the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So, our scent is actually in the atmosphere. Among those who are perishing and those who are being saved. We are unto God, the aroma of Christ. How? Through the knowledge of Jesus. So, the knowledge of God's word you have makes your life smell good. 
People can relate with you. Can't you see people just like me when they're around me? Haven't you realized it? It's the perfume. It's the perfume. I'm telling you, it's the perfume. It's the spiritual perfume I put on. This one is not two and two. It's not two and two. Can you give me more perfumes? More perfumes. Ah, you guys are not, you don't use perfumes. Eh? You give me the name of your perfume. Eh? Or your own is the Tunale one. <laughs> that one is for the dead bodies. Shoo! Hey. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I know, sir. I know, I'm aware. I know I'm a very good preacher. I know. So God's word is water. God's word is light. Praise God. So God's word is the food for the believer. Praise God. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So God's word is God's wisdom for you. Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He says, And that from childhood thou hast known the holy scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. So God's word revealed in the scriptures has the capacity of making the believer wise. So without God's word, a man can be spiritually stupid and foolish. And because of that, you will take foolish decisions. Because you are spiritually unwise. Now, this is a serious matter. Look, it says, and that from childhood, that has known the Holy Scriptures, which is able. So, God's word has an ability to make you spiritually wise, which affects you physically. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, come to uh, the verse 16. Now, look at how profitable God's word is. God's word is your business. Are you hearing me? God's word is your business. He says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable unto or profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine is teaching. So God's word revealed in the scriptures is profitable for teaching. Number one. Number two for reproof. The word reproof is conviction. Your conviction should be based on God's word. He said for correction can you imagine the word correction means reformation reformation or rebuke then for instruction in righteousness it gives you a, the word instruction is paideia which means child training or education or tuition or tutorials he says it is Profitable for instructions or tutorials or child training in righteousness. What is righteousness? Believing in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is righteousness. So, number one, it tells us God's word is our teacher. Now, this is serious. God's word is your teacher. God's word is your teacher. God's word teaches you. Number two, it says God's word is your conviction. Your conviction should be in God's word. You hear somebody says, for me, I think this is how. No, it's not what you think. It's what God's word thinks for you. 
So God's word should form the basis of your conviction. The word reprove is conviction. So you must allow God's word to convict you. If you want to insult that guy, God's word must easily and sharply convict you that you must change. After insulting that guy and you are in your chambers, allow God's word to convict you. And as God's word convicts you, go back and apologize in humility. Apologize in humility. You know, it's so amazing how you realize that a believer's life is regulated by an internal force. People don't see that force, but the force is working. They don't know how you are just sitting down and just rose up and came back and says, I'm sorry. And they know that's not how you are. There's an inner force. It's God's word. They know how you must insult this guy because he has insulted you. All of a sudden, you say, it's okay. I don't mind you. It's okay. Let's, let's cut it short. There's something working inside. There's something working. When they know you must retaliate, but all of a sudden, God's word says, if it is possible, be at peace with all men. But you remember that and say, hey, I must be at peace if it's possible. God's word must convict you. If you do something bad, you must allow God's word to convict you. Number three, he says for correction. That means you must give God's word respect enough to rebuke you. God's word must lash you. His word must reform you. It must transform you. It must be able to rebuke you and know you have been rebuked. There will be times I'll, I'll finish acting and I'm then and God's word just comes to me just like that. And I know I've been rebuked. I just know I'll be rebuked by God's word. And when you're rebuked by God's word, be humble. Not to allow your emotions to come into the place of the rebuke of God's word. Because there are sometimes when God's word is coming to you, it comes in silence. So if you don't take care, your emotions can rise higher than the silence of God's word. And if you don't take care, you will take a decision that you'll sit down and regret for the rest of your life. God's word must be your teacher. God's word must be your com- convict. God's word must be your, your, your co- conviction. God's word must be your rebuke. It must correct you. Allow God's word to correct you. If nobody can correct you in this, in this world, allow God's word to correct you and see how your life will be. And for instruct, instruction. In other words, you must allow God's word to instruct you. Move here. This is how you should do your life. Move here. This is how you do your life. God's word must instruct you. You must submit yourself to God's word for it to do these four things in your life. Teach you. So your, your steady teacher is God's word. Reprove you. It must form your conviction. It must rebuke you. You must allow God's word to rebuke you. I'm not talking about condemnation or fear. Anything that leaves you fearful was not God. But anything that leaves you in reverential fear, there's a difference between um, the phobia fear. Phobia fear is terror. Then we have the reverential fear of God. Well, you have so much respect for God after his word has come. So you obey God's word because of the respect you have for God. Because of the fear of God. So you allow God's word to convict you, to reprove you, to correct you, to rebuke you, and to instruct you. If God's word cannot instruct you, you are going nowhere. You are going nowhere. 
And look at the next verse. After this has taken place, look at the next verse. Look, he says that the man of God, don't think of pastor. You are a man of God. Because you are a man, number one. Number two, you are from God. <laughs> so don't think far. You are a man of God. You are a man of God. He says that the man of God may be perfect. The word perfect is from the Greek word atios. A-L-T-I-O-S. Atios. It means complete. It means to be fit. You are fit. Well fit. Then he says, thoroughly furnished. The word thoroughly furnished is one word. It's exatizo. E-X-A-R-T-I-Z-O. Exatizo. It means to equip fully or to finish out. So he says that the man of God may be complete, may be fit, thoroughly furnished, or fully equipped unto all good works. So if you have allowed God's word to take itself inside you, he says, then you'll be a man of God that is complete. And you are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God can use you for any good work. Any good work. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, I want to ask you a question. What should be your attitude towards God's word? Now, you see, your attitude towards God's word really matters as to your study of God's word. You must have a certain attitude to God's word before you even start studying it. So you don't come to God's word shabbishly. There's a certain attitude you must have towards God's word. Psalm 119, verse 47. Your delight, number one, must be in God's word. You must have delight in God's word. Look, he says, and I would delight myself in thy commandments. The word commandments is word. I would delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. So God's word must be your delight. You must love the word. Oh. You see, and when your delight is in God's word, God knows. You cannot pretend. Your delight, the word delight is excitement. Your excitement must be in God's word. So if you realize you are not excited about God's word, pray about it. Say, God, I want my delight to be in God's word. If you realize that your delight is not in God's word, keep studying that word. Until that word gives you delight. Come to the verse 97. 97. Look, he says, oh, how I love thy law. The word law also is word. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all day. This is why I came to realize you can be in lecture studying, yet you are meditating on God's word. You can be in the office, yet God's word is still taking over your life. So you are not just a believer who hears God's word on Sunday and you are something else from Monday to Saturday. God's word must be your meditation, pondering over it. He says, oh, how I love thy word. It is my meditation all day. It's my thoughts all day. Oh, thank you, Lord. Next verse. Look at that. He says, through thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies. 
for they are ever with me. So God's word must ever be with you. Next verse. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Look at the effect of God's word in the Bible. He says, now I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I love this word. Oh, 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 thank you, Lord. I love it. Number two, you must have respect for God's word. You must respect God's word. You must have high regard for God's word. Psalm 119 verse 117. In other words, your emotion cannot stop you from respecting God's word. No family member can stop you from fulfilling God's word. You must respect and highly regard God's word. You must honor, you see, it says, hold down me up and I shall be safe. And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. I will have respect. So you must respect God's word. When you respect someone, the person will know. You know why? Because you are always keeping in track with the person. You are, you are doing what the person wants. So God say, God's word is saying, respect his word. Give high honor to God's word. As we are seated here, if President Akufu Ado enters this place, I'm telling you, though we are preaching God, God's word, we'll put it on hold and ask him to come in. Everybody will stand. Let's honor the president of the country. That's dignity. So God's word that comes to you, you must salute it. You must respect it. You must give it that honor. You must acknowledge God's word. Are you here with me? Hmm. I'm helping someone. Psalm 119, the verse 127. You, number three, you must cherish God's word above money or any precious thing. I'm giving you a new mindset called, towards God's word. It gets to a time before I, by touching my Bible alone, by touching it alone, I begin weeping. He says, therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Hey! Yeah, above fine gold. So you must honor God's word above money. You know why? Because God's word can give you money. Even better than what this word can give to you. God's word can make you rich. I'm telling you, it can make you rich. He said, I treasure your words above gold. Yay, fine gold. So you don't treasure, you know, you don't trade God's word for money. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The verse 131. 131. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. The verse 133. The verse 133. So number four, your steps must be ordered by God's word. So I'm, I'm teaching you on your attitude towards God's word. Look, he says, order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word. So a man's steps must be ordered by God's word. 
So you must align yourself to God's word. You must align yourself to God's word. Psalm 119, verse 148. You must sacrifice your eyes for God's word. When I saw that, I was just laughing. He says, my eyes prevented the night watches that I may meditate in thy word. So what David is saying is that I sacrifice my eyes in the night for your word. My eyes prevent the night watches. In other words, this eye is closing, but I decided to sacrifice it for your word. That I might meditate in thy word. The last one, rejoice in the study of God's word. Psalm 119, verse 102. I think everybody should go and read Psalm 119 tomorrow. Because all the things I'm teaching from here is from there. Look, he says, I have not departed from thy judgment, for thou hast taught me. Come to the verse 162. 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So you must rejoice in the study of God's word. It must be your joy. God's word must be your joy. He says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Do you know what the spoil is? When a man goes for war and destroys his enemies, the properties of their enemies, that all the gold, silver, when they bring it back to their nation, it's called spoils. So all the wealth they collect in war, which they bring back to their nation, they are all called spoils. So it doesn't mean something that is spoiled. Are you seeing that? Uh-huh. So it means great treasures that are brought from uh, war. So it says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great treasures that have come from a spoil. The question I want to ask before we close is why the need to study God's word? Because number one, I want to do this quickly because of time. God's word establishes you. God's word establishes you. Psalm 1, the verse 1. Psalm 1, the verse 1. Look, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seated in the seat of the scornful. Uh-huh. He says, but his delight is in the word of the Lord. And in this word, doeth he meditate day and night. Look at the next verse. He says, for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That, he didn't say river, rivers of water. That bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall also not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In other words, even if he sells tomatoes, he will prosper. His delight in God's word. When a man delights in the study of God's word, I'm telling you the man will be established. You cannot go into God's word consistently and not come out established. Colossians chapter 2, the verse 6 to 8. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Look, he says, as 
ye have therefore received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus Christ? By faith. He says, so walk in him. So as you receive Jesus by faith, so walk in him. So your walk with God is the same way you receive Jesus. So just like you receive Christ by faith, you walk in him by faith. Next verse. He says, rooted and built up in him. He used two words, rooting and built up. Rooted is talking about agriculture. Built up is talking about architecture. So he's telling you to be rooted in God's word like a tree and be built up in God's word like a building. So Paul is using two strong things, architecture and agriculture. So it says rooted and built up in him. So you must have roots in God's word and you must be built up by God's word. So it says being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As he have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look at the next verse. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. So if a man is not in God's word, he will be deceived. He will be spoiled. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I wish I could explain this, but this is a full message. Romans 16, 25. I love you, Lord. He says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. What was Paul's gospel? The revelation and the message of what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, this message establishes us. It establishes us. The word established means to firm, to make someone firm, to strengthen. So he says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. What is that gospel? That is the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret. So when Christ is preached, men are established. When the gospel is preached, men are established. So God's word establishes you. Number two, God's word builds you up. Acts chapter 20, the verse 32. I love the word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. He says, and now, brethren, I commend you. The word commend also means to condemn. I condemn you to God and to the word of his grace. <laughs> Are you seeing that he specified? That means it's not every word in the Bible that can build you. There are some words that can deform you. So he specified. He says, and now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So God's word of grace, the message of grace has the capacity to build you. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And to give you an inheritance among all them that are what? Sanctified. So the believer is sanctified. So God's word has the power to build you up and give you an inheritance. Give you an inheritance. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18. So it is not everything that builds you up. It is the word of his grace. Look, he says, but grow in grace. So we don't grow anyhow. 
We grow in grace. What is grace? Grace is what Jesus did for us without us. Grace is anything Jesus accomplished for us without our involvement. Grace is anything Jesus wrought from us from the cross to the throne without our contribution. So everything Jesus accomplished for us is grace. Much more, Jesus is actually the person of grace. So he says, but grow in grace. So we grow in grace and in the knowledge. But the word end there is that is. But it's not always that is. It's not always that is. He says, but grow in grace. That is in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So we are to grow in grace. So it's not every knowledge that is in the Bible that is for you. We must grow in the knowledge of Jesus. So your focus in God's word must be see what Jesus accomplished for us and you are going to see that in the New Testament epistles. And you must read the Old Testament books with the lens of New Testament understanding. We are going to get there. Sometimes many people think that because they have the Bible, they can read what they want and be okay for the day. Wrong. There is a way to study the Bible. And in our next teaching, we didn't have time today, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. <laughs> I know it, it is many people's questions, I know. Because there are some of you, after hearing my message, you, you are like, how am I going to start this thing? A, a guy I know who teaches on grace on Facebook, he's doing very well. I was there, he called me, he says, man of God, how do I study the Bible? I said, hey! <laughs> In my mind, I was like, so all along, all the things you have been writing, how did you get them? So it made me realize that he's just posting people's posts. People's books and people's teachings and people's messages. And there are some of you here like that. The only thing you feed on is what I've been teaching. But that is not the goal. The goal of listening to my message is so that you can do Bible study for yourself. You see, I'm not selfish. I would have told you, listen to everything I say. If not, you are going to hell. But that's on the go. The reason why we are teaching you is to bring you to a place where you can see what I see when I read the Bible. But grow in grace. <laughs> Next. All right. It gives you God's mindset. God's word gives you God's mindset. Because the word of God is God's logos. The word logos, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word word in Greek is logos. It means reasoning. It means faculty. It means ideology. It means logic. So God's word gives you God's logic. God's word gives you God's reasoning. How God thinks is in his word. So if a man is filled with God's word, he's filled with God's thoughts. God's thoughts. He has God's reasoning. That means what God will do if you were here, when you have God's word, is the same thing you will do. Mm. Romans 12, the verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't comply to this world's standard. This world has a standard. And if you don't take care, you might conform. 
You might conform if you don't take care as a believer. You might conform. Because we are living in a world when you watch TV, nonsense. When you watch, listen to radio, another nonsense, blasting you from everywhere. Social media, Facebook, blasting and bombarding you every time. So if you don't take care, all these things around us can make you conform. It can make you comply with how the world does its things when you are the light of the world. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. So how transformed you are is how renewed you are. A believer who has been transformed by God is a believer who has been renewed in his mind. I told you salvation is in three dimensions. We have the soul, we have the man is a spirit, he has a soul and he lives in a body. So you are a three but one being. So you are not your body, you are your spirit. When you got born again, it was your spirit that got saved. That is how come the scars on your body are still there, though you are saved. So you cannot look at your outward body to define salvation. Because everything that was on your body is still the same. Number two, you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. Then you have a body you live in. So when you got born again, your spirit was saved. Your spirit was made born again. Your spirit was made a new creation in Christ. But your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotion, did not change. All the bad thoughts you had before you got saved is still there. That's why you get surprised at yourself that I'm born again, but why am I thinking that? Because you are not renewed. So God says that for you to save your soul, renew your mind. And I'm going to show you. James chapter 1 verse 24 before we come back to that scripture. He says, let's, okay. James 1, come to 21 first. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. SOS, save our soul. So he says, God's word is engrafted. The word engrafted means implanted. So the original destination of God's word is not in the Bible. The original destination of God's word is in the man's inside, inside you. That's the original destination of God's word. So the Bible is the case for God's word. The Bible is just the housing of God's word. The original destination of God's word is inside you. So it says the engrafted. So God's word must be planted in you before it can save your soul. So your soul must be saved. There are some of you, though you are saved spiritually, your soul is not prospering. So in 10 John 2, John said, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So you can be a born again believer and your soul is not prospering. Your soul is poor. Thank you, Jesus. I think in every teaching, I give more than 20 scriptures. That should form your Bible studies. I'm teaching good here, I know. Thank you, Lord. 
So he says, be ye renewed. Are you following here? Philippians chapter 4, the verse 6 to 9. God tells us what a believer must think. So the believer must not think what he wants to think. And these things this, this I'm teaching you, you must put them into practice. Look, he says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Uh-huh. And the peace of God will possess all understanding shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Now look at the next verse. He says, finally, brethren. Now this is too key. He says, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. So your thoughts must be based on that which is honest. God's word give you, gives you honest thoughts. God's words are just. God's words are pure. God's words are lovely and of good report. The best report you can have is God's word, not the doctor's report. So God says that based on thoughts, think on these things. Another verse says meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. And surprisingly, Paul says, hey, if you are anxious, pray, and the peace of God shall guard your heart. Now, he says, think on these things. Look at the next verse. Those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. First one, he says, the peace of God shall guard your heart. The next one says, the God of peace shall be with you. So there is the peace of God and the God of peace. The peace of God is that which God gives. The God of peace is himself. <laughs> it's God himself. He will influence your life as a person. So God's word should form the basis of your thinking. Colossians 3.10. This is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. He says, and have put on the new man. So the believer has a new man in him. Whether you are aware or not, I'm telling you. You have a new man inside your spirit. He says, this new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What does the Bible say? What the Bible is saying is that this new man has an image. The image of the new man is Christ. So he says you must be renewed in knowledge after this image, Christ, in which you have been created. So the more you study God's word, the revelation of Jesus causes you to reflect the same image which is in your spirit. Hmm. He says, and I've put on a new man, which is renewed. The word renewed is from the Greek word anakinosis. The word anakinosis is from two Greek words. Anna and kinos. Anna means to reverse. Kinos means original. So when God says renew, it means reverse back to the original. What is the original? Before sin came, man had peace with God. 
Man did not fear God. Man had joy in the garden. Man did not have any thought of lack. Man did not have any thought of sickness. That was the state before sin came. Until sin came and destroyed everything. So God says, renew your mind by reversing back to how God's original plan was through the scriptures. That means God's word has the capacity of taking you back to live the life God originally intended for man. And as you renew your mind, you get to that place. You will live sickness free, debt free, poverty free, frustration free. That's, that's the original life God intended. Oh, glory. I know that's communication overload for some of you, but don't worry. We have the audio teaching, so go and take the teaching. All the notes you are making. Sometimes you just bring your phone, just record it. Even before you get the message, you can be playing it at home. All right. God's word gives you the knowledge of God. God's word gives you God's knowledge. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. It gives you God's knowledge. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I told you that grace is first of all a person before it becomes any other thing. But the fact that grace is a person called Jesus does not mean that everything you see grace in the Bible is Jesus. No. Grace is also divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That's the word charis in the Greek. Divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So grace is God's influence, God's empowerment in a man's life. So a man can walk in a certain level of grace. So grace can be quantified. God's grace can be quantified. The Bible says it gives more grace to the humble. So there's a grace God gives to humble people. So he's saying that grace and peace, that means God's influence together with peace, be multiplied. So a man can multiply grace upon his life. How? By his knowledge of Jesus. The more knowledge you have about Jesus, the more grace increase upon your life. Grace is God's divine capacity working in you. So he says the more you increase his knowledge, the more grace is multiplied. And the more peace is multiplied to you through the knowledge. And look at the next verse. He says, according as his divine power has given us, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. In other words, everything you need, every power you need is already in you. It's already in you. But how do you assess it? Through the knowledge of him that called us to glory. So call to glory is not when you die. Call to glory is when you are in Christ. (laughs) So he says, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory. So the believer is called to glory. So when you see a poster called to glory, they they are misdefining it. We are actually called to glory. They are called to death. (laughs) he has called us to glory and virtue glory and virtue called us to glory and virtue thank you Lord Jesus alright so let me do this in one minute then we are done oh I wish I could continue this thing it's too much okay so let's hold on here we are going to continue we have a long way to go so next week, I'm going to try and finish this one. Then we are going to go to how to study God's word. So we are going to look at, I'm, I'm, 
I'm sure some of you might not have heard this in your entire life. Okay, we are going to study how we are going to look at how to study the Bible. There are many Christians who know a lot about God's word, but they don't know how to study the Bible. Everything they know was actually what they heard from someone. But I want to teach you how to study the Bible. Okay? There are Bible tools that you need to study God's word. And there's also a way to study the Bible. I'm going to give you different methods of studying the Bible. Because some of you think by reading the Bible you are okay for the day. No, 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 no. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says that, what did he say? He says, study. To show yourself approved unto God, not unto men. So your study is not to prove to men that you know. He says you, your study must give you approval before God. Unto God. A workman. So those of you who think reading the Bible is just for fun. He's, he calls a Bible student a workman. The word workman means a toiler. So studying the word is work. I'm teaching someone here. Studying God's word is work. So just like a farmer takes his tools for farm. There are tools for the study of God's word. There are many of you who study God's word without tools. I'm going to teach you on the tools to study Bible. And he says a workman who needed not to be ashamed. That means a man who does not study the word of God will be ashamed one day. You'll be ashamed. You'll disgrace yourself. Potter, potter, potter. Rightly dividing. Autotomio. A straight cut. To rightly dissect the divine message, the word of truth. You are blessed. Amen. Lift up your hands in one minute. Just begin to bless the Lord. From the genuineness of your heart, I want you to call out to God and tell Him how. How hungry you are for his word. Tell God, God, I'm sick and tired of living that same way I've been living for the past three years. Lord, I am serious with your word. I mean business. Holy Spirit, help me to stay consistent with my spiritual growth. Help me to stay consistent to the study of your word. Mozata dado jede kabadida. Lelonda taviando tesiga, broshanta teteke di gadula, levrobrotos tastane getaya, mlondo te flienda sukubashe, lelo brabande le blekiba suta taba, shatabatune beke barabatu sabataba kapolo boto, ebala batune beche beka, balabatune bekeba, emazuba labakapa, eblanta labata, genuinely from your heart, tell God you desire him. You crave for him. You are longing for more of him. Mozanda bashata telebrapra leto sondo dekeba mando seke telebrando lepranto as the deer panted and longed after the brooks so does my soul long after thee menene no shanta batia I want to know you I want to know more of you eba seteke balata that I may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering being made conformable to your death le madanta ne mashanda baya 
Hebrews 11 6 he says for without faith it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder the remunerator of him that diligently craves after him diligently seeks him diligently investigates him diligently scrutinizes him diligently studies and longs and searches after him in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.